As the Rio Olympic Games is gaining momentum, it is extremely unlikely that the prestige of hosting this big event will attract the economic benefits to pay the bills. To make matters worse, Brazil is in the midst of a virtual perfect economic storm. The country's economy is in the midst of the biggest slump in decades, the oil prices near record lows, and the Zika virus has had a negative impact on tourist numbers. On the line from the U.S. is uh, Professor Andrew Zimbalist. He is an economist and a professor of economics at Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts. And he specializes in economics of mega events such as the Olympic Games. And he has written a book, Circus Maximus, the economic gamble behind hosting the Olympics and the World Cup. Andrew, welcome to the show. Many cities around the world (laughs) has... um, hosted big sporting events, and they have suffered severe financial losses, and it seems as if Rio is destined to join that list. I think it, it has already joined it, unquestionably. I, I, I believe that when the tally is accurately made, we'll, we'll find that Rio has spent somewhere on the order of $20 billion to host the Games this year. Uh, they'll receive back something uh, around $3 billion in revenue. So there's a deficit there of $17 billion. Of course, the hope is that they would make that up in the long run by increased tourism or increased trade and foreign investment. Uh, that has not been the case for other hosts in the past. And I think it's particularly unlikely for Rio because, in, in fact, the, the international image of Rio has deteriorated as a result of hosting the Games. Uh, what, what, what previously was seen by many people around the world is, as a city of immense natural beauty and uh, uh, great, great partying and fun-loving lifestyle, I think is now seen as a city that is uh, severely troubled with uh, water pollution and water shortages, with, with violence, with uh, economic recession, with corruption in business, with political instability. Uh, and, and so it's uh, more likely that the games will have a negative impact in the long run than a positive impact in addition, in addition to the short-run deficit. The $20 billion you refer to, how does that compare with previous um, Olympic Games? Well, uh, Lon- London spent about $18 billion. Beijing spent somewhere between 40 and $44 billion. Sochi spent between 70, excuse me, between 50 billion and 70 billion dollars. But I think that the, uh, when, other than the extraordinary cases of Sochi and Beijing, uh, where there was a lot of extra infrastructural investment that don't typically, does not typically take place, uh, I think the, the 15 to 20 billion dollar range is, is common in this day and age for the Summer Olympics. For the Winter Olympics, the expense uh, might be 50 or 60 percent of that. Um, and the three billion, um, you know, revenue that the event will generate for Rio, what are the main sources of that revenue? So they'll, they'll receive about $1.2 billion from corporate sponsorships, domestic and international. Uh, they'll, they'll receive um, uh, about a billion dollars from uh, international television money. They'll receive um, three or four hundred million dollars from ticket sales, uh, and then there'll be some miscellaneous revenues. Mm. I just want to return to the the, the tourism aspect. Um, you know that is always mooted as the big benefit. You will attract more tourists to the country. It's a big marketing exercise. You know, millions of people around the world. 
you know, are watching what is happening in the city. And from what I'm seeing from in, in South Africa, it seems like everything is, is going smoothly and it is a successful event. Well, uh, first, first of all, you have to look at a few factors. One of them is the amount of investment that you have to make in, in order to bring the tourists into the country. Um, and if you're trying to promote tourism, what is the best way to do it? Is it by spending $20 billion on hosting the Olympics or 10 or $15 billion or some other number on hosting the World Cup? Or is it by directly investing in the promotion of the, the, the tourist attractions of, of your country or, or your city? Uh, it's, so it's possible in certain circumstances that you'll get a modest increase in tourism for, from people coming to the mega event. But in fact, that's not the general case. The general case is that there is no increase in tourism or even that there's a decrease in tourism. London experienced a 5% reduction in the number of tourists coming to its city in July and August of 2012. Beijing experienced a reduction of over 20%. Um, Sydney experienced uh, a very small increase of less than 1% in the year of the Games, but the each, each of the following three years had reductions in the level of tourism. So why does that happen? Generally, it happens because the typical tourist uh, stays away from the mega event, and particularly from, from an Olympics, which is the largest mega event in a city. They stay away because they're afraid of congestion and crowds and higher prices and the possibility of security incidents. Now, when the typical tourist doesn't come and they're replaced by the Olympic tourist, uh, the Olympic tourist goes home and tells his friends, neighbors, and relatives that he saw some wonderful competitions. Um, but the, the Olympic tourist doesn't go to the typical uh, tourist sites. When a normal tourist goes, if the normal tourist is going to London, they, they go to Piccadilly Circus, they go to the, the theater, they go to the museums, uh, and they come home and they tell their friends, neighbors, and relatives about what a lovely place London is to go. Um, so you get a word-of-mouth effect, which is, according to studies in tourism, it's the most important way to grow tourism. You get a word-of-mouth effect from the typical tourist that you don't get from the Olympic tourist. Mm -hmm. So not only does the number of tourists not grow typically when you host a mega event, and sometimes even falls, but you lose a word-of-mouth benefit from promoting tourism. What do you think the impact of the Zika virus has been? Well, I think the... the, the the publicity around the Zika virus definitely hurt the uh, the tourism in, in Brazil. The reports coming out right now are that there are lots of hotels that have empty empty beds and are drastically reducing their, their prices. Um, Brazil actually, as you might know, expanded the number of hotel beds, hotel rooms in the city, uh, Rio did, by, by over two times. Um, and they're going to be stuck with this tremendous expansion in, in hotel capacity. So I think that there was a lot of negative publicity and concern and, and, and scaring around the, the Zika virus. Uh, but I have never felt that it was going to be a major element. Uh, we, in, in, in the Western Hemisphere, we've, we've got a much larger problem right now in, in Puerto Rico. The, the reason is because Brazil right now, or Rio right now, is in the wintertime. Uh, the mosquito population is greatly reduced. And many months ago, when the Zika virus presented itself as a serious challenge in Rio, they did an enormous amount of fumigation to kill off the mosquitoes. 
Um, and indeed, what you know, what is in fact what appears to be the case is that it's it's a very small factor. There are other factors, other detracting factors that are much more significant. The original decision to host the games, you know, was taken in the 2000s, uh, and the games was awarded to Rio in 2009 when the economic situation was totally different to what it is now. Um, you know, surely the economic problems that are Rio is experiencing now could not have been foreseen seven years ago. Do you think maybe the the time you know lapse between being awarded the event and the hosting is too long, or has an impact on the success of the event? Well, it is a very long, and and you know, in fact, uh, a city starts preparing a bid ten years beforehand. Uh, they, if they're lucky um, or unlucky, as the case may be, that they're selected by the the National Olympic Committee in their country nine years beforehand, and then they're awarded the game seven years beforehand. Uh, it, it's a very long time period. And it's very difficult, really, for any city to anticipate what's going to be happening to the economy five and 10, 15 years down the road. Um, so it, it it's certainly one of the many risks that potential hosts uh, have to, have to consider, but I, I will say this: that even if Rio continued to grow at five percent or six percent a year uh, be, between two thousand and nine and two thousand and sixteen, that the the kinds of costs that Rio is experiencing from hosting the games would still be present. Uh, per, perhaps some of the situation would not be as exacerbated as it is. But uh, uh, the, bal- the balance of the, the economic calculus would still be very negative. Can a, a city today host a successful and profitable Olympic Games? I think that under special circumstances, it can be done. Uh, for instance, in, in my country, Los Angeles is bidding to host the 2024 Games. Los Angeles, because of the large number of professional sports teams, the large number of college athletic teams, the large number of college clubs doing athletics, excuse me, just uh, private clubs doing athletics, they have all of virtually all of the facilities that are needed. Also because it's a very developed city, it has the necessary infrastructure in transportation, in sanitation, in hospitality, in communications. And so the amount of, uh, the amount of additional investment that would have to be made is really quite small. And in a case like that, yes, you can imagine that Los Angeles would do okay. I don't think it would be a great bonanza for Los Angeles to host the games, but you can imagine that it wouldn't impose the types of uh, economic and social costs that it's imposing on Rio de Janeiro. You, you refer to the Los Angeles Olympics. Are there any other examples uh, where the games have been financially successful? Well, I think one could make the argument that they were successful in Barcelona in 1992. Um, there, there were also some significant costs in, in Barcelona, uh, particularly with regard to, to housing and low-income housing. But Barcelona was a very special case because what happened in Barcelona is that after Franco's death in 1975, uh, they introduced democratic decision-making and a plan evolved to restructure the city of Barcelona and to to remove a district of warehousing and manufacturing that sprung up that blocked the city from the sea. They wanted to remove that district and they generated a whole urban redevelopment plan. They had a vision for their city. That plan and that vision preceded the idea of hosting the Olympics. 
And when the idea of hosting the Olympics came along several years later, the idea was folded into and made to work for the plan that they were already implementing. Uh, when you have a situation like that, so the investments that are made are specifically following uh, a previous plan to promote the city, to develop the city, uh, then I think the Olympics can, can be more constructive. What typically happens and what's happened in virtually every other case is that the IOC comes to a city and says, here, here are the 35 venues we need. We need an Olympic village. We need a, uh, a media and broadcasting center. We need a lot of ceremonial green space. And then the city contorts itself to accommodate the IOC. And when it happens that way, most of the infrastructural and other investments are not productive and end up being quite wasteful and end up producing large numbers of white elephants. What do you think the legacy for Rio will be? I think it's a terrible legacy. I mean, you know, there's there's one one legacy, which is the international image. Um, and I think that that's already deteriorated. Uh, there's also the legacy that's coming out in terms of the, the, the sporting competitions and to what extent they'll be successful. Uh, that looks like right now, although there have been many difficulties there, it looks like that will be an okay legacy. Uh, but the, the real legacy is what's happening to the, co the economy and what's happening to the people in Rio. And I think at that level, it's, it's been a, a, a really destructive really destructive process. I mean, one, one of the things that I haven't mentioned that I think is terribly significant is that in order to make room for the various athletic venues and, and, and transportation routes between the athletic clusters, they've had to evict 77,200 favelados or, or residents of the favelas or shanty towns in Rio. Uh, sometimes they did that just so that the, the even though the favela was not directly in line of a transportation route, they did it because they didn't want people to see the poverty of the favelas. So they just wiped out the favela. Um, a few years ago, um, Cape Town made a bid for the Olympics, which Athens actually then received. Um, listening to you, you know, it seems like we can be internally grateful that we did not get that Olympics. I think that's absolutely Absolutely correct. Um, just lastly, you, you refer to infrastructure as um, being the big, you know, expense item for for countries. Does that mean that developed countries are, you know, would host a more profitable uh, events than developing countries? Well, I think it's a more expensive and problematic venture for a developing country. There, there's no question about that because they have to make much more infrastructure investment, but it's also true that for a developed country in a developed city that they don't have nearly as much available land and the land that they do have is higher priced. That raises the cost of hosting the games. It also means that scarce urban real estate is being dedicated to building Olympic venues and sporting venues where it could be more productively and profitably uh, in, invested in, in residential property or commercial property. Um, or entertainment property of other kinds. So I, I do think that it's, it's still a very risky gamble for even developed cities to, to undertake. Um, do you think we, the, the system needs to be changed, how the Olympic cities are chosen, um, to make it not as you know, financially taxing on some cities like Rio currently? Well, sure. I mean, there are lots of ways to change this. The current system isn't working. The model is broken. Uh, cities are pulling out of the, uh, the, the bidding process as, as happened in South Africa. 
but many, many cities in Europe and the United States and elsewhere have pulled out in the last 10 years. So the model has to change. There are lots of ways it could change in theory. It's not easy to change because the IOC is an international monopoly that's unregulated. So they have a lot of market power. Uh, and the IOC will only change if it's forced to change by cities refusing to, to host the games or by corporate sponsors refusing to sponsor the games. But I think one model would be to select one city or a small group of cities that already have the sporting and transportation infrastructure in place and just have those cities host the Olympic Games. It won't be a great benefit to them. It'll be more of a burden than anything else, but it will prevent the waste and the degrad environmental degradation that goes on today where you have a new city every four years reconstruct the 35 venues, the Olympic Village, the broadcasting and media center, the ceremonial green space. That's just wasteful. And, and the way that the IOC does it with sharing very little of, of their revenue with the host city is frankly exploitative. So I do think there needs to be change, but it's not going to come easily. Not all the benefits are financial. Um, when the World Cup um, was held in South Africa in 2010, there was a, a big, you know, uh, nation building exercise, uh, national morale. Um, how do you bring those type of benefits? Uh, how do you, you know, calculate the benefits of those, um, you know, non-tangible uh, benefit? Well, you know, I, the evidence that we have, and I have not studied South Africa in detail, although I've read about it, the evidence that we have from uh, other World Cups and other Olympics is that the morale boost is short-lived, that it happens ar around the time of the Games and it goes on for several months after the Games. Uh, what you also have as a result of, of, of hosting um, the World Cup or the Olympics is a lot of expenditure, a lot of debt. Um, uh, generally speaking, you have a dislocation in terms of, of residents who have been forced to move, a dislocation in terms of the uh, the informal sector em employees, the informal sector workers who were forced to move away from from the various venues. You have white elephants. You have you have soccer stadiums in a variety of cities where soccer is not an important sport, um, and and then you have to upkeep those those sectors. So over time. Uh, even if there's a short-term uh, morale boost, there are a bunch of economic and social problems that are engendered from hosting uh, that I think more than offset uh, the, any short-term benefit there might be in the psyche of, of the population. Thank you, Professor. That was Professor Andrew Zimbalist. He is an economist and a professor of economics at Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts. He's also the author of the book Circus Maximus, The Economic Gamble Behind Hosting the Olympics and the World Cup.